What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Kyle Mills is the number 1 New York Times best-selling author of 15 political thrillers including The Survivor for Vince Flynn and The Patriot Attack for Robert Ludlum He initially found inspiration from his father, the former director of Interpol, and still draws on his contacts from the intelligence community to give his books such realism. On this episode, Kyle talks about how he became involved in writing, what his process looks like, and how to tap into your creative side. Hey guys, I want to tell you about the brand I'm obsessed with right now. And you guys know I'm pretty obsessive about the brands I work with, especially when it comes to athletic apparel. You guys need to check out 10,000. You need to head to 10,000.cc and you guys can enter code WGYT and you're going to receive 20%. Yes, 20% off your entire order. Why do I love 10,000? 10,000 created the only training shorts you'll ever need. They do so by simplifying your options to deliver three premium shorts that perfectly cover all the ways you train. They have one built for versatility, another for durability, and one super lightweight, perfect for one of those runs or whatever else you do for fitness. No matter what you do, they have you covered. CrossFit, running, spin, yoga, lifting, or your weekend adventure, it doesn't matter what you do for fitness. They have a short for every way you train. They make it super simple too to find the right short. Just pick the short that's best for you, your lifestyle, personalize it with your individual needs with a custom liner and inseam options, and start getting after it. Not sure if they have the right short? No need to worry, you guys. Make a return or exchange. They offer free shipping, free exchanges, and free returns on every order. Like I said, 10,000 is my favorite brand right now. I am wearing their apparel all the time when I'm working out. I can't recommend them enough. Head to 10,000.cc, enter code WGYT, and you've got 20% off your entire order. You guys know how much I love travel. So I think you're really going to like this next brand. That brand is Globekick. Head to Globekick.com, check out what they've got going on, and you can also enter code WGYT to receive 10% off. Globekick makes your travel dreams a reality. They make it easy to discover, plan, and enjoy unforgettable adventures. And you're wondering what some of those adventures are? How about a yoga retreat in Italy? Cage diving with great whites in South Africa? Or their most recent trip was dog sledding and chasing the northern lights. Yes, they saw the northern lights. I think you guys would love checking them out. So head to globekick.com, enter code WGYT, and you've got 10% off. Kyle Mills, welcome to What Got You There. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah, no, your, your work is something I've enjoyed reading. I'm very interested to hear about your backstory. But for the listeners unfamiliar with your work, can you give them a little context into who you are and what it is you do? Sure. Uh, I am a thriller novelist. I've been writing, I don't know, forever. I mean, it's got to be like 20 years now. Um, originally, I wrote my own books, uh, meaning under my own name, um, and had some success. And then a while back, I got a request from the estate of Robert Ludlum to do some books for him. And initially I said no, but then I thought, oh, well, that sounds like it might actually be kind of interesting. So I did a few of those and then I stopped doing them. And uh, that was around the time that um, Vince Flynn passed away. And I got a call from his agent wondering if I wanted to continue 
the Mitch Rapp series, which I had been a big fan of and a big fan of Vince's since he started. So I ended up taking that on. Both interesting contexts. When you first get the call from Robert's estate, why did you initially say no? I don't know. It just seemed like a weird thing to do to write a somebody else's series. I mean, I don't, I'd been a fan of Robert Ludlum since I was in high school. Um, but I, it just it was just kind of out of my world, really. Um, but it, it, honestly, I looked at the at the the series that they were wanting to reboot, that they wanted me to reboot. And it, it, it in itself was interesting to me because it was about a microbiologist uh, who worked for the army. So it was very science oriented and I'm kind of a science geek. And I had a number of kind of sciencey ideas that have been bouncing around my head for years, um, necessarily appropriate for what I was doing. So it gave me a chance to explore those ideas and write books about them. Why do you think both Vince's people and Roberts reached out to you and asked you to take on these roles? Well, with with uh, Robert Ludlum, it was they had actually written read a book I had written called Darkness Falls that was kind of a science oriented thriller and had liked that book. So it was it was that specific book that got them uh, to call me, uh, because it, it seemed to fit with their genre. I had written books about a lot of different subject matters and kind of a lot of different styles over the years. So that was probably my most sciencey book. So I was kind of lucky that they read it. Um, with Vince, I think it was a little bit different. I think because of my history as a thriller writer prior to Robert Ludlum and the fact that I was able to to take on the Robert Ludlum stuff and write kind of in his style, which was not necessarily that similar to mine. Um, I had a little bit of a a versatility there that uh, is maybe unusual. I think people tend to, writers tend to have a certain style they like to write in, and that's not necessarily the case with me. I tend to adjust my style a little bit for the subject matter of the book. So when you take on the Mitch Rapp series from Vince Flynn, what's day one like? It, it's my understanding he had actually written a few pages uh, of the book you picked up on. Yeah, he had. Um, and I thought because of the way I write that there was probably quite – that book was about done. I They had told me he'd written a couple of pages of it, and I assumed that meant – he had done a, an outline and done uh, a bunch of research because that's the way I do things. I do a bunch of research, then I write an outline, then you know, I start on page one. So if I had written two pages of a book, you can count on the fact there's probably a hundred page outline and a stack of, uh, of research sitting around. So I took the job without really asking about that. And on day one, I uh, said, well, why don't you have his wife send over all the, you know, the stuff for this book? And they kind of said, what stuff? I said, oh, all the research and all that stuff. And they said, oh, that's not how he worked. He just kind of started on page one. The two pages you have are, are that's it. <laughs> so uh, a little bit of a shock, but I rolled with it. Yeah, not an easy start for you. And and you mentioned your process. And we're going to dive really deep into that a little bit later. But I'm so interested when you're trying to take on 
this writer Vince Flynn when when you're trying to get inside of his head and and put him onto this piece of paper what does that look like how much research are you doing on him as opposed to the characters quite a bit i mean it took me a while i had to tell you, i had to get an extra 3 months on that book i told him i usually i write a book a year and i told him that one was going to take me you know closer to 15 months because the first 3 months were reading the entire series again I had read a lot of the books, but not necessarily in order and not, I didn't study them. I mean, I just wrote them for fun. Um, so I read all the books in order, this entire series in order took, you know, like 150 pages of notes on everything relating to the characters and, and the universe that he'd created. When you're taking those notes, are you writing those down in a, in a notepad or are you writing in, in the columns there? How are you doing that? No, in my computer. Okay. So I just have my computer set. Well, actually, that's not entirely true. I highlighted them. And um, and then I went back and took all the notes uh, on my computer. So I have this entire uh, series of Vince's books with all these weird highlights and notes in the margins um, for things that I needed to write down later. So I organize it all. Because if you think about it, I mean, I literally do have about 140 pages of notes. So it all has to be laid out in a way that it's searchable. So I have all kinds of different files, like current characters, dead characters, settings, buildings, you know, all this kind of stuff that I can go to when I have a question. Um, and then, yeah, I did also research, did a fair amount of research on him. There, Thank God for the internet. You know, there are a lot of interviews with him um, on the internet, whether he was on the radio or on TV or doing speeches. And so you could get an idea because he was, a he was a pretty political guy and had a very strong political point of view, which my books never did. And then I wanted to, um, stay true to that when I continued the series. Yeah. When you continue that series, how much pressure is there on you? Are you both feeling externally and then also internally? You know, there was a lot. I mean, with, the, the Ludlam books, um, it wasn't as big of a series. It, it wasn't the Born series. Um, and it had, it had, it was rebooting it after it had been, it had kind of gone fallow for a number of years. So I had a lot of free hand there. You know, I, I was basically going to take it on for a few books in my mind anyway, and then turn it over to somebody else. So what I wanted to do was create a universe and like rebuild it. So they had a, another author would have a good path going forward. Um, you know, with Fences, none of that was really necessary. There, He was a huge author at sort of the peak of his abilities and popularity. He had enormous number of fans. He had created this huge and very complex universe with all these very rich characters at, um, over a lot of books. I mean, this, you know, the books followed Mitch Rapp from when he was in college till he's kind of in his mid-40s. So you had... I mean, there were, there, there was, it was very much a sense of, you know, he finished the last man, which is the last book he wrote. And then it needed to start really from the day, the next day after the last man finished on, if that was a Thursday that that story finished, then my, the next book started on Friday. And then you had all the fans who are, you know, really rabid fans who know this character, they know this universe and you can't blow it. You can't make a mistake. You can't change the character. You can't even make an error about 
you know, where he lives or what kind of drinks he drinks or stuff like that because people are really paying attention. So then over the years, obviously, you've been tremendously successful carrying on that series. How's your confidence changed? And then how's that contribute to your writing? Uh, you know, a lot. The, the first book was called Survivor. And so Vince, you arc storylines over multiple books. So the book would end, but clearly not all the threads had been resolved. It was going to pick up. That's why I say when, if it ended on a Thursday, the survivor needed to start on a Friday because not everything had been resolved by in that story. And it was going to continue. So with that book, the goal was very much to create a forgery. I mean, the, my goal was to use his word choice to, to stay as close to his style to the point that no one would ever know which two pages were his, you know, what I had written, and it would feel very much like he had written that book himself. That was the goal. The, that would be perfect for me, as if no one could ever tell that he hadn't written that book. Now, moving forward, the idea of writing constant series of forgeries was kind of impossible because books like thriller novels and particularly Vince's have to feel timely and the world has changed. I mean, it's incredible how much has changed. He's only been uh, gone for, you know, around five years, but he would have never known about ISIS. He would have never known about the rise of Russia back to the world stage. I mean, the, the sort of political turmoil going on in the United States, these are all things that you know, a, a current thriller has to cover and that if he'd have kept writing, he would have covered. So I've had to, you know, move away from uh, the idea of just trying to do exactly what he did. And now I try to do what I think he would have done, you know, given the current context. Yeah, the current context is something I want to get into as well and, and and how you come up with these next stories. But let's dive a little bit into your backstory and your father. He was a former FBI agent and then even the director of Interpol, right? Right, yeah. That's got to be an, an interesting story for you growing up uh, around that, chasing criminals, the thrill of that. I can see why you end up as a thriller writer. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of funny. I When I decided I, want to write a, I wanted to write a book, it was a... Uh, I mean, it wasn't really a career decision. It was something I thought would be fun and interesting and challenging. I don't know that I really ever thought it would get published. Um, and I was—I like a lot of different kinds of books. I was a big reader, and I thought, well, what genre should I write in? And this was before the internet. And I thought, you know, the 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 old saying, "Write what you know." And I had grown up around that. I had grown up around, you know, the FBI and Interpol and MI5 and MI6 and special operations guys. That, that Those were the family friends. And I'd heard stories and all this. So I thought, I mean, in a way, laziness that I thought, well, I have all these stories in my head and all these characters in my head. And if I ever get stuck on a on a point of fact or something, I can just call a friend. And they can tell me exactly how it works. So I I did. I embarked on my first book, Rising Phoenix, and the lead character was an FBI agent because, you know, I was very, very familiar with how all that worked. Was there one person who was a family friend that you were most excited about when he'd be at the dinner table? Yeah, you know, a guy named Lee Colwell, who's the associate director of the FBI, I found to be a really fascinating guy. 
He uh, was really, really smart and very, very calm, <laughs> and which is funny because my father is a much more sort of larger than life character. And uh, and it was really interesting to the contrast between them was very interesting. And uh, uh, Lee had had you know done incredibly well at the FBI to rise up to become the associate director at that point. So uh, uh, a fascinating guy, and probably the only guy I ever just fully copied in a book. There's a character, an FBI executive in my early books, um, that is him. I mean, I didn't. I don't think I changed him at all. It was just, I was basically in my mind just writing about him. How much could they actually share with you around the dinner table? Were they pretty open and you get to hear a lot? You know, it really depended on the person. My father's very closed mouth about things like that. And most of the stories I know about him were told to me by other people. So there tends to be a length of time. So you don't ever hear very much about current things. Um, you hear about things that are in the past. And then as I got older, um, people were willing to share more, you know, as long as I, you know, told them I would never put it in a book or that I would stylize it, uh, and, and change it to the point that, that it would be completely unrecognizable. So stuff that was more off the record, um, which was easy enough to do. Uh, you know, you're, you're talking about, certain facts or certain places or, or certain events. And you could always sort of obscure, uh, you know, the, what, what really happened with, with the story. Yeah. I can only imagine this is some of the stories you heard growing up, but you mentioned when you first got into writing, it, it really wasn't as a career path. So what inspired you to even begin writing? You know, I, I wanted to do something creative, to be honest with you. I, I was, a I I worked for a at the time, uh, and uh, I was a big rock climber. So those were the two things I did. You know, I worked and I climbed, and I, I never had really done a lot creative in my life. So my initial thought was I wanted to learn to build furniture. And I think my wife was not super excited about that idea. First of all, she pointed out that I'm not, a partic- I'm not particularly handy. And she also, I think, didn't want me to fill the garage with tools. So she said, well, you know, you really like reading. Why don't you write a book instead? And uh, I thought it was kind of a weird idea because I had an economics degree. I'd never really taken classes in English or anything like that, or, you know, to the degree that I could avoid them. And, but it just kind of got into my head. And I, you know, like I said, I had all these story characters in my head in the thriller genre. And, uh, I thought, yeah, why not? I mean, it'd be fun. I didn't even, this is so long ago. I didn't even have a computer. So I thought, well, instead of buying all these tools, I can buy a little computer and hack away at that. And I literally bought a bunch of books on how to write novels and read them and sort of naively embarked on writing a novel. Oh, that's so interesting how you initially got into that I want to stop for a second, though. You mentioned avid rock climber. Are you still a huge rock climber? No, no. In fact, I, I went for the first time in probably 15 years a couple of weeks ago and took a real beating. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I've gotten a little long in the tooth maybe for that. <laughs> Have you seen uh, the movie Free Solo with Alex Honnold? 
Strangely, I no, but it's funny. I used to climb sometimes with Jimmy Chin, the guy who directed it. Uh, he lives not very far from me in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Oh, it's a, it's a movie you should definitely check out. Jimmy did an unbelievable job with that, but I, I would love to have heard your perspective as a rock climber after watching that. But we can, we can dive back into writing. And you say when you first started writing, there was really no end game in mind. So how were you doing this with your current job? Was this something nights and weekends you were writing down? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I just... Um, at the beginning when I didn't have a computer yet, I used to, they had a little laptop at work and I actually, if nobody was using it, I'd bring it home on the weekends and kind of tap away at it. <laughs> so it, um, but it wasn't a serious endeavor really. And you know, I didn't, um, honestly didn't know if I'd ever even finish it. I don't think I, but it was really fun as it turned out. I, I really enjoyed it. I, it was a struggle. I mean, I, I mean, that's when you're kind of, when you write that first book, you're kind of trying to figure out your system. You know, I mean, everybody, everybody's fascinated with, you know, your process. How do you write? What do you do? Do you, you know, sit at a desk facing north or or whatever? And I think it's a little disappointing. I tell everybody, you know, that everybody has their own way of doing it. And it takes a while to find yours. So it was interesting. It was an interesting process, process, not just to write the book, but to figure out how I could write a book and what worked for me. How different was the process from your first book where there was really no expectation to then you have this massive success and the pressure of the second one, even in terms of just sticking to a similar writing routine? How different were they from book one to book two? Uh, yeah, could night and day. Um, the first one was a lot of fun. The fact that it became a national bestseller was, let me do a shock. Um, and I had signed a two book deal, which was a little strange because I'd never had any intention of writing a second book. It was, it had been sort of a one-off project in my mind. Um, so Yeah, I got into that and it was really different. You know, I had a publisher, I had agents, I had a lot of people pushing me and pulling me in different ways. There was a great deal of pressure because um, it had been so, the first one had been so successful. And the truth is the demands on my time were such, and, and, you know, I had a deadline, that there was really no way I was going to be able to keep working at the bank and do this book in time. So, plus all the other demands of, of having a successful book out there. So I left my job to focus on writing the second book and it was really horrible. I, I, uh, you know, there were all these people calling me, you know, and telling me what they thought the book should be. And because I felt like I'd had no expertise really in writing, I mean, it was the whole thing. I felt like kind of a fraud. Um, just like a banker who had written a book, not really a writer. And these people had all this experience and been in the business for a long time. I was trying to listen to them all and they weren't all necessarily saying the same things. I was trying to incorporate it all into this new book I was working on and all this stuff. And, um, it was miserable. It was horrible. I, I, uh, my hands started shaking all the time and, and my stomach started to hurt. And I actually got to the point where I was so miserable. I, I asked my wife if she would mind if, 
I gave all the money back and just quit. And because I hadn't spent the money they'd paid me and for my, for the advance on my second book. And she said, yes, absolutely. You should do that. Cause I'm afraid you're going to die. And I was like 30 or something at the time, you know, she's like, I'm afraid you're going to have a heart attack. So I did, I sent my agent a fax one late one night and said, I really don't want to write this book. I don't think I want to be a writer. So can I just give the money back? I have it. And, um, he called me very early the next morning and said, I told nobody to call you or contact you in any way, write whatever book you want and deliver it. So under those terms, I thought it sounded okay. So I did. And that one sold even better. So, so that sort of, I embarked on uh, my career after you've done the second one, the, the rest aren't quite as bad. No, it's such a such a remarkable story, and I, I know a lot of the listeners are going to be so intrigued about that. A, a lot of them, similar ages, that are are dealing with difficult things in their life. So I'm sure they're going to be interested in hearing about that. Your agent called you and told you about that. Write the book that you want to write. How different was the delivery in terms of executing the original timeline? Um, the timeline I got, I still was able to to deliver the book on time. Um, and honestly, I had a concept that my agent and I had worked out at the time that I liked. Um, it was just a question of how the book, you know, what the storyline was going to be and uh, what people expected of it. So once I didn't have all these distractions anymore, you know, I was able to pick a path and, and head down it. And uh, it wasn't as much of a problem. But I guess the second books are hard, you know, I think tend to be really hard for people. And, um, but, you know, it's funny, I asked for advice from Tom Clancy, who coincidentally was a friend of my father's. And he basically said, anyone can write one book, but two is really hard, which was not that helpful at the time. Um, but he was right. You know, once after you've written the second one, then the rest become much, much easier. I think it's a matter of confidence. The confidence will be hit on earlier. It was, it was fun hearing that and how your confidence has built. What about in protecting, not necessarily your time, but the parameters that you work best on from, from book two to, to what you're currently at? Are you pretty protective of the parameters they set around you? You know, I think they've just evolved. I mean, I would say that everybody, again, like going back to process, everybody does this in a really different way. And I am probably on the lunatic fringe of doing my own thing. Um, so I once had, I, I signed a two big deal once with a publisher and on the second one, I, the book was almost due. It was a month from being due and they emailed my, or called my agent and said, is Kyle ever going to write the second book? And I called the guy and I'm like, I'm so sorry it's almost done. I'm going to deliver it to you in a week. But I realized I had never talked to them about it. It's just, you know, I had a contract for two books. Of course I was going to write the second book. <laughs> so that's pretty much the way I operate, like in very much in a vacuum. Um, I typically tell my uh, editor, you know, hey, this is kind of the general concept of what I'd like to do. And if they like it, I say, okay, and then 
in, there's a good chance that on that subject matter, that's the last they're going to hear from me until I deliver the book. That is very interesting. I want to go back to when your first book comes out, and it's it's a best-selling book, tremendous success, and you mentioned that in your wildest dreams, you never expected that. Not even in your wildest dreams, like in the back of your mind as you're writing this, are are you thinking at all, hey, maybe this actually could be a big success? I mean, you always think it's kind of, (laughs) but it's almost like, wouldn't it be cool if I won this lottery ticket was the one, you know? I mean, so good books come out every year and, and there's so much kind of luck and, and, you know, being in the right place at the right time and all this, um, that it's really impossible. I mean, it's impossible to even dream like that really. And particularly for me at the time, I, like I, I was saying that I felt a little like an imposter and, you know, it's hard to sort of overstate that feeling at the time of, you know, I'm a banker. I never really took any classes in English. I was constantly afraid somebody would ask me, you know, a question about writing that was sort of in depth that I'd have to say, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You know, I mean, literally, if it wasn't on Schoolhouse Rock, I didn't even grammar. I think if somebody said, what's an adjective at the time, I'd have said, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, since then I've learned a lot, but that was just, it it was just a, such a strange feeling to have somebody suddenly have people talk to you like you were an author. And I did not have that sense at all. And honestly, I don't think I had the sense of being an author probably for four, like four or five books. I finished like a fourth or fifth book and I thought, you know, now I, wow, you know, I feel like I understand this process that maybe I am an author. If somebody asked me a question about writing, I could answer it with some sort of authority. Do you have a specific moment in your head when that imposter syndrome actually dropped? I don't know that I have a moment. No, I think it just sort of faded for a while until there was a moment where I don't know, maybe I was sitting around talking about with writing about somebody or, or something and I felt like, you know, I knew what I was talking about, that some I wasn't going to be I just I had this like really like paranoia that it was somebody it was gonna be discovered that I wasn't really a writer and then it was gonna be plastered all over the newspaper or whatever. Kyle Mills fraud doesn't know anything about writing. Um and has written these books, doesn't seem to understand how he did it. Um which would have been fairly accurate, I think, at the time. <laughs> if you were to look back, say, books one through five, and then after you kind of jumped over this hurdle, is there a clear difference at all in your writing? Um, yeah, I think, you know, I think I certainly got to be a much better writer. Um, I don't know that I have better ideas, necessarily. Um, uh, but it's funny, I, I actually, my first book, I I took a class on on writing a novel writing, um, from a literary who lives in my town. And I feel so bad for the guy. Now I, I had actually finished the book when I started and I just gave him the book and, and said, I'm going to come to your class, but could you read this and tell me if it's any good? And he read it and he made a bunch of comments on it, which I incorporated into the book and everything. But Many years later, I walked into the bagel shop. I mean, I've known Nick forever since then. 
And he was sitting there reading one of my books, which I was a little, I was kind of taken aback that he would do that. And, and he looked up at me and said, wow, you got a lot better. <laughs> and it was such a funny call. I literally really admire this guy. His name's Tim Sandling. He's a really phenomenal literary writer. And I, I w- it was such a big moment in my life that, you know, Tim Sandlin thought I had gotten to be a better writer. Um, and also I, ex- I was able to then explore other styles of writing a little bit. You know, I wrote a general kind of book that was kind of general fiction and it was in the first person, which is something I had never done, but I thought it would work better, um, for that storyline and, you know, stretch my leg bit as a writer, um, which has been fun. When you were in the bagel shop, did you autograph his copy? <laughs> I, I don't think I did. I think I was so stunned. I think I just, I just hustled away with the bagel. So, so you mentioned you, you signed up for the class. And I think a little earlier you mentioned you, you bought some books to, to read How to Become a Better Writer. Is there anything else you did early on? Any resources you accumulated? Um, you know, mostly it was I picked some books that I thought were really good that were in my genre or that had been really popular. Um, and I remember and kind of for different categories in different categories. So I reread Cardinal of the Kremlin because I thought it was the best thriller I'd ever read. Um, I read the Pelican brief because it was really had been so popular. And I read, uh, kiss the girls, uh, which, was very nouveau, like it was a a very different kind of modern thriller, um, uh, and just sort of to take in what was happening at that moment. Um, and then I kind of figured out, in my mind at least, what worked in some of them and what didn't, and uh, and tried to incorporate that into my writing. Say you were just starting out today what would you do differently? I don't, you know, I think I would have thought more about my audience, which, which is, which kind of makes me sound like I don't care about my audience. And that's absolutely not true. Or I didn't care about the audience. What I wanted to do, I wanted to deliver the best book I could write to my audience. And I would never I would never allow a book to be published that wasn't my best effort. So if anybody who ever reads one of my books and they say, oh, that book sucked, it was my best effort. Well, I didn't phone that book in. Um, however, I didn't think about what my readers wanted, like what they were interested in. I thought about what am I interested in about at any given time, which is why you know, like I said, I wrote a first person general fiction novel. And so all of a sudden I, you know, my fans picked up the book and thought there are no guns or investigations and it's in the first person. Like, well, and they probably had to look at the cover a few times and think, is this the same guy? Um, but it was what I wanted to write about at the time I was inspired and I thought I could create a really good book that people would like. Um, and I think working with the Ludlums and working particularly with Vince's stuff, I've come to understand that, you know, you have fans who like your style and maybe when they pick up your book, they pick it up for a reason. You know, maybe they read very widely 
you know, everything from romance to thriller to whatever. But when they pick up your book, they have an expectation. They, they're in the mood for a Kyle Mills book or a Vince Flynn book or a John Grisham book. And then if you don't deliver that, even if it's a good book, I mean, I, I got so much mail about that general fiction book that I wrote uh, that, that we really kind of, they all ran along the same lines, which was I read half of that book and I was really taken aback. And then I finished it. And then like a month later, I was thinking about it and I thought, well, I really liked that book. But I think they were so startled that I guess it'd be like going into McDonald's and them handing you sushi. You know, even if it was really good sushi, you think, but I came here for a burger, you know? No, that's a very interesting perspective. And, and you've brought up a lot of great authors. You even, the advice Tom Clancy gave you, are there any other well-known authors that you connected with early on that might've helped you along the path? You know, a lot of authors have helped me, um, and vice versa. You know, I, that's one of the things I love about, um, writing is I don't think most authors see this as a zero sum game. So to some extent, we're all, a lot of us are fans of other people's work and that we're friends and, you know, we kind of promote each other's stuff and, and, and talk and, and read each other's stuff. So that's been a lot of fun for me. Tom helped me out a ton in my career. So did Frederick Forsyth, you know, early on in my career. I mean, Vince Flynn gave me a great blurb for one of my books once. Um, you know, Lee Child is the same. And, you know, I've been friends with Brad Thor. This is kind of a turnaround. I was friends with, been friends with Brad Thor since before he published his first book. Um, so I gave him, you know, a blurb and advice on his first books. And now, you know, he's huge. Um, not because of anything I did, but entirely because of what he did. But it was interesting to watch that progression. I mean, I remember first meeting Brad and thinking, I, I literally told my wife as we were walking out of dinner with him and Trish, that guy's going somewhere. And uh, I was right. <laughs> How'd that so, dinner? Um, how did it come about? Yeah. I, you know, because I had a lot of friends in the FBI and spec ops, and we had a bunch of mutual friends. And he lived in Park City at the time in Utah, and I lived in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And uh, he was coming up there, I don't even know why, to go skiing or something. And Brad, being Brad, he called, you know, he had, he called and said, you know, we have these mutual friends, and, and why don't we get together for dinner? I just, he had just finished his novel, and a publisher was very fired up about it, and they were going to put a lot behind it. And, uh, you know, he wanted to talk about that process. So we got together and, uh, had dinner and have been friends ever since. What did he do at that dinner for you to say this guy's going places? You know, I don't know if you've ever met Brad or talked to him, but, um, I, I didn't even hope his book was good. I, I hadn't read it. <laughs> so, but the guy's just, the, he's just a force of nature. I mean, you know, he's one of those guys who knows what he wants and you meet him and you think he's going to get it. Um, and then I read the book and thought, oh, heck, he's, he's also a super amazing writer. So now for sure going to get it. I thought, I thought that guy's going to be successful, even if he can't write, but it turns out he was the package, you know, a guy who's not only one of the thriller writers in the world, but also, you know, had that personality and that drive 
uh, to be successful. I'm more the literary guy that likes to sit in his basement and write books and doesn't really think about, um, you know, success or, 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 or selling a ton of books. I, I probably should think about those things, but for me, it's always been about like producing that book. And that's when my big excited moment is the minute is when I finish that book and I like it, you know, I'm proud of it. And, you know, being, getting on the bestseller list and everything is amazing. But for me, the big thrill is writing a book and thinking, yeah, I'm really proud of that book. No, that's a fresh perspective. And that's a big reason why I wanted to have you on. And you mentioned you would love just sitting in your basement and writing. So can we actually break down the timeline of events from day one of you begin working on a book to when it's released? Can you just kind of give a broad overview of what that looks like? And then I hope we can jump into some of those details. Sure. Sure. For me, and this is different for everybody. Um, for me, it's a matter of, of kind of coming up with an idea. So I need an idea that is kind of can be explained in one sentence. So my first one was a good example of that. What if somebody who wanted to stop, you know, the drug trade in America started putting poison in the drug supply and basically prompting everybody to stop using drugs. Um, an easy concept to get your mind around. And then I start just coming up with ideas and I, about how that could play out, doing research on how that would play out if it happened. And I end up with just pages of reams and reams of paper and post-it notes and, and all this um, related to that idea. Then I kind of put them in general order of when those things would happen. And then I start creating an outline. And for me, the outlines are super elaborate. I mean, ridiculously elaborate, probably unnecessarily elaborate. I, I If I have a book that's a hundred thousand words, I might have a 40,000 word outline. So once that outline's done, I'm pretty sure where the book is going. Then it's a matter of sitting down and kind of fleshing out that outline. I literally write over the outline. I just kind of flesh it out paragraph by paragraph. You'll have to excuse me. I totally want to nerd out here on this idea generation. So when you have this single sentence concept, and, and you kind of formulated from there. Is this being played out in your head? For example, uh, we just had on Nick Akonis, who is the owner of a bunch of restaurants, uh, has developed some software applications, and he talked about his idea generation. And when he has one, it actually plays out in his head like a movie. I'm curious what yours is like. No, I would not. No, I would not say that. I To me... I mean, for instance, that if you use that specific example, that one was pretty easy. It was a good one to start with because it was so high concept in the sense of high concept in the sense of movie and that it was a very strong central concept. And so with that one, research was really important in that if that happened, the, particularly with the FBI involved, which they would be, there would be uh, a response to that. And you can see what that response would be. I mean, for me, particularly easily, I would ask an FBI agent or an FBI executive, what would you do? Like, how would you, what, I mean, if this happened and people started dying left and right, and this terrorist group was essentially saying, we're doing this, 
how would you stop it? And so research wrote a lot of that book for me. You know, um, FBI reacts in fairly predictable ways to things. So you start with, to me, you start with the research because that's going to give you a lot of ideas. And then I build on them. You know, I, I'm not one of those big idea guys. I wish I was one of those people that just incredible ideas pop into their head, you know, constantly all day. For me, it starts with an idea and then I sort of torturously build on that idea and discard bad ideas and build a little more and go up blind alleys and back out of them until eventually I have, uh, you know, essentially a beginning, a middle and an end. That's another happy moment for me is then I always come down and tell my wife, oh my God, I have a beginning, a middle and an end to this book and super important. Why do you use the word torturously to describe that? Well, because it's sometimes it's really odd. You know, sometimes you'll have these days that nothing, you get nothing done. Like you sit there and you have all these ideas or you don't have any ideas or you have all these ideas and then they turn out that they're bad, you know, and they end up all just ending up on the cutting room floor. So for me, it's, it's like building a house you know, or building a building where you start without foundation and it's almost like building a house without a plan. And then you add some framing on top of it and then you realize, well, that framing isn't working. You know, the whole thing's going to collapse and then you tear all that framing down and then you put, but you know, maybe there's a couple of pieces that'll work and then you build on top of those and then you build, you know, to the sides of those. And then eventually like I said, you've got to be getting other. I guess if I was if I was actually a builder who did it that way, which would not probably be a very good idea, I would tell my wife, I've got a floor, walls, and a ceiling. And then once you've got floors, a wall, and a ceiling, the rest, you know, is just a matter of putting in the work. It's gonna it's gonna happen at that point. Sometimes though, you know, you wonder. <laughs> I mean, I remember it's only happened to me once, but I had a book that I couldn't I couldn't come up lending. And it got to the point where it was just so blocked. I just decided I was going to start writing the book without an ending. And it happened to me once, but I was just stalled. I mean, I was just frozen at that point. So I started writing the book and then that helped me come up with the ending. The ending eventually came to me. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's easy. You know, I, I the, what was it? I, I think it was enemy of the state. I hadn't thought about it all. That's the other thing is I never think about the next book until I finish the book I'm writing because I find that really splits my attention. And I was in Tucson and I was going for like a 10 mile trail run. And I thought I just finished the last book and I thought, well, it's time for me to start thinking about that. And by the time I finished that run, I had the whole book in my head, which is the only time that's ever happened to me. Uh, which was really exciting. I got to the end of the run and I said to my wife, I have a beginning, a middle and an end. And she said that, what, that's it, <laughs> the run. And that, that was it. So I'm so interested in this trail run that you finished the book. First off, how important is physical activity for you during your writing process? I wouldn't say normally at all. I mean, I'm a, I'm a really avid athlete, so I don't climb anymore, but I, do a ton of mountain biking and trail running and backcountry skiing. Um, and, 
Um, but I wouldn't say I normally combine the two. Um, that was just a really long trail run through the mountains and I didn't really have anything else to think about. So, <laughs> so I thought, and, and I just finished the book and I'd gotten that morning thinking, wow, I got to start this next book. And I thought, well, here I am, you know, in the mountains, myself. um, this would be a good use of my time. And I thought, you know, I'd, I, maybe I'd come up with a couple of ideas. Um, and it never occurred to me that I'd have a beginning, a middle and an end by the time I finished, but it was, uh, yeah, it was kind of a happy occurrence. I couldn't believe it. I mean, normally that's a fairly lengthy process. So while you were running, did you think about the book in order? Because correct me if I'm wrong here, but when you do the outline and when you actually sit down to write, you don't start from the beginning, right? You kind of just pick random chapters and write? Well, no, when I do the outline, you know, no, I mean, when I do the outline, I do... I just tend to have random ideas. So I put them in general order, you know, I mean, obviously if I figure out how the guy, how the bad guy is going to die, put that at the end, you know, uh, the crime would be at the beginning. And then I just, sometimes they get shuffled around over time, but I put them sort of in general order. Um, and then with that book, yeah, I mean, with that book, it just, I don't know, it just fell into place. I don't know. It was my, that was my moment of like, I don't know. Weird. Yeah, your, yeah, your eureka moment there. So, so let's talk about normal writing then. When you when you have the outline done, uh, I'm sure you you hate talking about this, but the listeners love this. Are there any routines you have? Uh, anything you structure to make sure you're producing great work at the time? No, I wouldn't say I do produce great work at the time. <laughs> I mean, to me, the so I have the outline, and then, uh, like you were saying, I don't necessarily write the book in order, and that is true but I have the outline in order. So I have an outline that has every chapter outlined and numbered. Um, so I know in detail what's going to happen in every chapter. And then I write whatever chapter I'm in the mood to write. Or frankly, sometimes I have time to write. Like if I don't have much time in, on a day for whatever reason, generally it's snowing really hard and it's a good power day, then I'll write, I'll, I'll find a really short chapter or a really easy chapter to write. So, um, but yeah, that I would not say my first drafts are very impressive. I like to me, the editing process is really important. You know, my goal, I have a schedule of a chapter a day or whatever it is that's going to get me to my deadline. And that is what I do. So I do my chapter a day or whatever. And there's, there's no, well, this isn't working or this chapter's terrible or I'm writing really badly today. It doesn't matter. I have to finish it. And then when I go back, I think sometimes, wow, this is terrible. And it takes a ton of work to fix it. And other times I go back on my second draft and think, oh yeah, this chapter really works. It's it's fine. I'm do a little cleanup. But, you know, I think it was Nora Roberts said you can't, you know, you can't fix a blank page, but you can fix a, a bad page. And I mean, that, that story for me, get it down on paper and then you can always fix it. Do you do any writing prompts to get going or do you just sit down and, and start going? No, I just sit down and start going again. You know, I have a pretty detailed outline though. I'm writing over the outline. Um, so that's, 
in a way, that's kind of a prompt there. I mean, it, it's telling me what to write. I just need to make it prose as opposed to kind of bullet point. On a day that you're planning on on writing a chapter, what's your routine like? Wake up, do you get right into writing? How do you construct that? Yeah. For me, that's what works. I mean, I get up, have breakfast and go to work. And then when I'm done with the chapter, it sort of depends on where I'm at. You know, if I'm if I'm writing chapters, if I'm actually writing the book, um, then I write until the until it's finished. I write until the chapter's finished, and that could take me I don't know a couple hours, or it could take me ten hours, depending on the chapter and how I'm feeling that day. With outlining, it's a little different. That's kind of a pure creative process. So, you know, I can feel it turn off. So I work until my brain is done on that kind of thing. And I, there's a, there's like a switch that flips in my brain and I can feel it happen. Um, that nothing else going good is going to come out of it that day. Sometimes that could be, a, you know, I could have a great day where it's five hours, sometimes an hour. And sometimes the hour day is more productive. I mean, every once in a while I'll have so many good ideas that I just quit. I'm like, wow, that was, done like 50 hours worth of work in 30 minutes. I'm just going to go skiing or something. Um, other days, it's a little more tortured. Oh, I'm so, I'm so interested about this. This is so fun and, and interesting for me to hear about your writing process. During, uh, when you're, when you're collecting as much information as possible, you mentioned you might call an FBI agent, talk to them. What's one of the most interesting things you learned about by calling them, thinking about new ideas for your books? Probably the most interesting was a guy who worked, he had left the FBI and it was working, he ran security for a number of casinos. And we were at a party actually, and he started to ask, telling me about how they, or he asked me, how do you think they get, we get all the money out of uh, Las Vegas? I never really thought about the fact that people bring a ton of cash at the time into Vegas and then they leave without it. <laughs> and where does it all go? And so, you know, I had all these elaborate ideas about how they did, you know, secret tunnel or whatever. Because they had to get it to the Federal Reserve in San Francisco. And he said, no, no, we just pile it all on into semis and drive it across to San Francisco. And I thought, oh man, I can steal that. Like, I think I can figure out how to steal that. And I, so I drove down, me and my wife drove down there and drove that route from Vegas to San Francisco. And, you know, in the, along the route, I figured out how I'd steal that money because, uh, which turned out to be much different and much more difficult than I thought it would be. Cause it's literally the lonely, I think it's, the loneliest road in America. I think there are signs that say that. The, and I thought, perfect, nobody's out here. But then I realized, yeah, but nobody's out here. There's no way to turn off it. So you could steal it, you could get a hold of the truck, but then what do you do with it? You know, I mean, everybody would know you've hijacked the truck, and then how would you get the money to like a bank account or something? So it was kind of a fun, that was a fun project. Huh. Now, now, now you have my brain working. I'm thinking, hey, would this be a drone scenario? You get 20 different drones and each fly a different direction with the cash. I <laughs> know uh, there were no no drones back then. No such thing as a drone. 
Oh, I, I would have so much fun doing research for your books, having some of these conversations. Is, is there anyone you just mentioned, the casino security guy, anyone you think would make for a great podcast guest? I'm curious your answer here. I don't know. Um, that, those, so those guys, that was so long ago. Those guys are so long retired now. Like that guy, he was an interesting guy for sure. My father is an interesting guy, but um, they've kind of been out of it for a long time. It's a little bit of a different generation. I got you. I will say a fun generation because it was <laughs> the FBI was very different back then. Oh, I can, I can imagine so. There's certainly some stories I'm sure you have there. I mean, you've already accomplished so much as a writer. If you're looking at the future of your career, what else are you hoping to accomplish? I don't know. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say I think that much about it. Um, I kind of do it book by book. Uh, I always have a, you know, I always want to write a better book than I wrote last time. Um, that's kind of what motivates me. Um, so right now, you know, obviously doing the Vince Lynn stuff and I'm having a really good time with that. Um, Vince's fans are great and, uh, it's a really fun character that I had been a big fan of. You know, who knows, you know, I have an idea for a book, uh, that's a sequel to a book that I had written many years ago called fade. And I've been working on that at about a page a year for 10 years, about 10 pages. And, uh, you know, someday I'd like to do that. I think that would be a lot of fun to, you know, dredge that character up again and, and see what he's doing. So it's hard to say. Um, you know, I sold a, a TV deal or a TV movie deal on a book, um, a while back. So, who knows, you know, if that pans out, maybe uh, do some writing for that, which I've never really been attracted to, but um, it might be really a, a fun exercise. So you never know what the what the future is going to bring. It's particularly in this business. Yeah, one thing I love is your fresh perspective at all times. Your next Mitch Rapp book, that comes out in September, correct? Right, mm-hmm. Fantastic. So I'll make sure we definitely, because I think they can pre-order that right now. We'll have that linked up in the show notes. But one thing I want to ask before you take off here is I know you've lived all over the place. Today, you're in Spain. Where's your favorite place on this planet? You know, it's probably where I live, which is why, well, I mean, I'm living in, I'm living in Spain now, but um, my permanent home is Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And uh, I think probably Jackson Hole, Wyoming and uh, Cape Town, South Africa would be my two favorite places in the world. Very cool. Well, Kyle Mills, this has been a blast for me. I really do appreciate you taking the time. Where do you want the listeners going to follow you and stay connected with all things you're working on? Uh, you can go to kylemills.com and that kind of probably has everything you'd, you'd ever need to know. I'm obviously also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these things, but, uh, probably kylemills.com is the easiest place to go to figure out, uh, all the places I, I lurk. (laughs) I love that verbiage. Once again, we'll have all that linked up in the show notes, but Kyle Mills, I can't thank you enough for joining us on what got you there. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, I want to tell you about the brand I'm obsessed with right now. And you guys know I'm pretty obsessive about the brands I work with, especially when it comes to athletic apparel. You guys need to check out 10,000. You need to head to 10,000.cc and you guys can enter code WGYT and you're going to receive 20%, yes, 20% off your entire order. Why do I love 10,000? 10,000 created the only training shorts you'll ever need. 
They do so by simplifying your options to deliver three premium shorts that perfectly cover all the ways you train. They have one built for versatility, another for durability, and one super lightweight, perfect for one of those runs or whatever else you do for fitness. No matter what you do, they have you covered. CrossFit, running, spin, yoga, lifting, or your weekend adventure, it doesn't matter what you do for fitness. They have a short for every way you train. They make it super simple too to find the right short. Just pick the short that's best for you, your lifestyle, personalize it with your individual needs with a custom liner and inseam options, and start getting after it. Not sure if they have the right short? No need to worry, you guys. Make a return or exchange. They offer free shipping, free exchanges, and free returns on every order. Like I said, 10,000 is my favorite brand right now. I am wearing their apparel all the time when I'm working out. I can't recommend them enough. Head to 10,000.cc, enter code WGYT, and you've got 20% off your entire order. You guys know how much I love travel. So I think you're really going to like this next brand. That brand is Globekick. Head to globekick.com, check out what they've got going on, and you can also enter code WGYT to receive 10% off. Globekick makes your travel dreams a reality. They make it easy to discover, plan, and enjoy unforgettable adventures. And you're wondering what some of those adventures are? How about a yoga retreat in Italy? Cage diving with great whites in South Africa? Or their most recent trip was dog sledding and chasing the Northern Lights. Yes, they saw the Northern Lights. I think you guys would love checking them out. So head to globekick.com, enter code WGYT, and you've got 10% off. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.